Welcome to the Emancipate Your Mind podcast. I'm your host, Certified Religious Transition and Trauma Recovery Coach, Terry Hales. I help people step out of the shadows of religious fear and shame and embrace their authentic selves with love and empathy. If you're ready to throw off the shackles of learned binary thinking and explore a more nuanced approach to life, this is your playground. Hey everyone, welcome back to the Emancipate Your Mind podcast. It is nearing the end of school and I won't lie, like things are a little bit crazy over here. So between helping my kids get ready for the end of school to take final exams and getting ready for family vacation here in a little over a week, which is crazy to me. um, Yeah, it's been a little bit crazy, but I'm so excited to be here with you today And we may be coming to you live from our road trip up the Pacific Coast Highway here in a week and a half because I just can't seem to record ahead of time. So you might be hearing from me while I'm on vacation here in a little bit, and you might hear from my kids and from my husband and from all of us for at least one of the podcasts. So I'm excited about the things that are upcoming Honestly, I am so excited that school is about to be over. This has been quite a year getting back into the swing of things after all of the pandemic craziness and the online school and offline school and just all of the flux. This year has finally felt normal, but sometimes returning to normal after some trauma can feel really exhausting. And that's kind of what this past year has felt like. Exciting and wonderful, but also, whoo, like I am ready for some summer. I'm ready to just chill out, not have homework or after school activities or all of those things we have to run to and uh, ready to just kind of spend time with my family and enjoy the swimming pool. So I'm so excited that that is coming. And in the meantime, we're actually going to dive into some questions that you all sent my way about the past podcast. So in the last podcast, as you know, I was talking with Sally Osborne about coming out, whether you're coming out of the closet as an LGBTQ person or whether you're coming out to friends and family and people that you care about about leaving the church or at least questioning the church and how parallel those two experiences are. But one of the things that Sally said was that the real work of coming out would be showing others that you believe yourself. She said the way to influence their opinion of you was to live your truth. And I probably got 25, maybe 30 messages from listeners saying, I don't know how to do that. What does it mean to live your truth? And there was a lot of anxiety around doing this well enough. I think a lot of perfectionism came up for people, a lot of all or nothing thinking, this idea that there was a truth out there that we're supposed to find and then we're supposed to anchor into it, root into it, grow from there and always be that person, and almost a sense of guilt or shame 
if we do mask around others. And so today we're not just going to talk about authenticity and what it means to be true to yourself. We're also going to talk about the nuance around this idea because researchers disagree about authenticity. When it comes to psychology, there is a whole camp of researchers that believe that your true self is a made-up idea, that there is no such thing as your true self because it's not quantifiable, it's not measurable, and it's so subjective. And because the only person that can really observe whether we have a true self is from a first-person point of view, only we can say whether we're being true to ourselves There's this idea that it is a made-up thing, and yet you and I both know what it feels like to feel like we are showing up and putting on a costume, as Sally said in the past episode. We know what it feels like when we feel like we have to mute or stuff or mask parts of ourself in order to be accepted and valued and loved. And so I think it is really important to talk about authenticity, but I think it's also important to talk about how objective that idea is and how fluid that idea is so that we can get out of the perfectionism of feeling like there is a truth about ourselves that we are supposed to find and that it's something other than who we are and that once we find it, that is all we're allowed to show up as. I feel like that is just a stifling of a box for us as the boxes we were given to put ourselves into in high demand religion. We do not want to re-box ourselves with a different idea. So this is about expanding. So in today's episode, I want you to take a moment to make a safe space for yourself to listen to create an openness, a place where you can explore nuance, a place where you can allow yourself to be uncertain, a place where you can allow yourself to ask questions, a place where you can allow paradox. Because we are humans. We are not one thing. We are often many things, and many of those things are contradictory. And that's what makes the human experience both really messy and confusing sometimes, but also so beautiful and transcendent. We're constantly feeling the push and pull of contradictory values and ideas and beliefs and experiences and making meaning from those things. And the idea of authenticity is no different. So today, give yourself some time if you need to pause this. Go to a quiet space, set the intention that you're going to open up. And as I'm doing this, I expand my chest. You know how we all kind of hunch over in our digital day and age? We hunch over our computers, our phones, our steering wheels. We hunch over when we're watching TV. We hunch over at the dinner table. We hunch over when we're standing even. So as you're meditating, as you're creating this safe space, as you're being quiet with yourself, allow your chest, your heart area to open up and expand, like push it out, expand out that compassion space, that empathy space, expand out that place where there's acceptance and enough room for all the different parts of you. And 
Then when you feel comfortable, come back and let's get curious about these ideas around authenticity and around being your true self. Now, remember, if you're loving the podcast and you want to support the work that I'm doing, please head over to emancipateyourmind.org and consider making a donation. It really does mean so much to me that you support the podcast so that I can really spend quality time doing this work and still continue to have a high quality of life with my kids and my husband and with myself doing some of this work of rooting into who I truly and authentically am so that I can continue to bring this work to you and make it available to all of the people who are deconstructing now and all of the ones that will come after us because this trend is just picking up. More and more people are beginning to question authoritarianism, both in religion and outside of religion. And there are generations of us right now healing generational trauma And the more information we can get out there, the more easily we heal. And the more we heal, the better of a future we create for ourselves, for our children, and for our grandchildren. So thank you so much for those who have donated, and let's hop in. All right, so let's talk about what it means to live your truth. Right now, there is a whole lot of buzz around the idea of authenticity, and what does it mean to be authentic? So at its base, being authentic is living true to your personality, your values, your feelings, and your needs, regardless of the pressure that is on you to act otherwise. That's like the basic understanding of what authenticity is. It's showing up as your true self, regardless of the pressure to mask, regardless of the pressure to be someone different. It is choosing to do what is right for you, choosing to meet your needs, choosing to listen to your emotions, even if it will disappoint someone else. And there's a lot of benefits to living authentically. A 2008 study in the Journal of Counseling Psychology found that authenticity, which they defined as being true to oneself in most situations, which I actually like that definition a little bit better, It correlated with higher self-esteem, lower stress, and greater life satisfaction. So I want you to think about times when you've been able to show up as your true self, when you've been able to speak your mind, or when you were able to make your own choice and do the thing that your heart longed to do. Think about how expansive, probably scary as well, but how expansive and exciting that felt. And even all the more exciting whenever it was received well by others. Now, I want you to also imagine times in your life when you felt like you had to wear a mask, when you felt like you had to stuff what you really wanted or what you really needed in order to make somebody else comfortable. And compare and contrast those two scenarios in your head. What did it feel like to step into your truth? And what did it feel like to know, to be conscious that there was something inside of you that was screaming, I feel differently, or I want to live differently, but you didn't feel free to say it or do it or be it because... You were afraid the other person would get so uncomfortable that they would reject you. 
When we feel like we can show up as who we are, when we know that we are lovable, even when we're not following the narrative, think of how safe we feel and how free we feel. And when we feel like we have to put on a mask to be loved and accepted, how much anxiety that can bring us. I mean, just the act of editing or masking is so exhausting and can cause so much anxiety. It makes sense to me that we feel more mental health when we're able to feel like we can show up as ourselves. We also know from Brene Brown's research that we develop more secure connections with people who know our vulnerable parts and love us anyway. And when we're free to disagree and have different values or to disappoint others without fear of abandonment, we feel safer in our bodies and in our relationships. And all of this leads to a greater sense of emotional and mental well-being. But I've noticed over the years that those of us who are born and raised in legalistic systems, where there's a right way to be and a wrong way to be, we often find ourselves caught up in the perfectionism of being 100% true to ourselves and feeling a lot of distress when either we don't know what that means or we feel like we're hiding bits of ourselves for self-protection. I've even seen some of my clients begin to shame themselves when they felt that they didn't show up authentically for one reason or another. And that's really one of the things I want us to move past in this episode is this idea that we have to show up 100% in alignment with our authentic self in order to give ourselves compassion or kindness. We deserve compassion and kindness whether we are able to be fully vulnerable or whether we still feel like we need to put on protective armor. All of that is valid. There are real risks to being vulnerable with someone. Brene Brown even says we don't just share our vulnerability with everyone. We share the vulnerable parts of ourselves with people who have earned the right to hear our story. That tells me that even Brene Brown understands that there are times when we get to be 100% authentic with people, and there are times when maybe we mask a little, and there's times when we put up protective armor in order to protect ourselves because we're not sure if we're safe yet, and we're going to talk about that a little bit more in a minute. So today's episode isn't so much about finding our true self, but learning to accept ourselves as we are with curiosity and compassion and allow ourselves to unfold and evolve over time. So today's episode is going to be about radical acceptance. Authenticity starts with the ability to love and accept ourselves as we are right now in this present moment. I think a lot of the times we feel like being authentic means we have to go in search of some ideal self that we aren't currently, or that our ideal authentic self is somehow buried underneath all the rubble of our religious and familial trauma, and that we aren't being our authentic self as long as any of that is still in our lives, that we somehow have to excavate and get rid of all of the trauma in order to be our true self. But the fact of the matter is, all of it is who we are, and who we are evolves over time. So you were your true self in childhood, 
as trauma began to pile up, how you showed up in the world was true to your experience in that moment. It was authentic to who you were then. Even if you were masking, even if you felt like it was not safe to show up in the world or to express your opinions or to be fully seen, you were showing up as best as you could in the moment. And that was authentic to who you were then. So we're learning to accept fully who we are, how we feel, what we value, how we cope, and to give that version of ourselves compassion and kindness and empathy to be a friend, to be a kind parent to that part of ourselves, to say, you belong here, all of you. We start authenticity. We start allowing ourselves to show up more fully in the world when we first start by accepting ourselves as we are. I think a lot of times we get that backwards. We think, I'll find other people who will accept me, and then that will prove to me that I can accept me. But it doesn't work that way. First, we learn to accept us. We learn to say, okay, I see that you're feeling sad, or I see that you're feeling afraid, or I see that you're feeling jealous or angry. I'm listening. Help me understand. What do you need right now to feel safe? What do we need right now to get what we want in life? What changes do we need to make? How can I love you into those changes? How can I support you and know that you're worthy as we work to make those changes so that we can get more of what we want? We start there. It helps having a support group having other people that will support us in this journey of learning to love and accept ourselves. And sometimes that support group is just a therapist or just a coach. Occasionally, we'll have one or two friends we can lean on in that way to say, hey, I'm really trying to learn to love myself. And when I find I'm in a shame spiral, can I talk to you about it? Will you help me work through it? And remember, Brene Brown talks about those friends that we can approach in our most vulnerable moments, which is when we're feeling shame. And those people are the ones that will sit with us and hold up a mirror to help us see ourselves clearly. They'll help hold us accountable, but they also help us see ourselves as lovable human beings. They won't get caught up in the shame with us. They won't be disappointed in us that we're human. They won't add additional shame onto our shoulders. We're looking for people that we can show up and be completely human with. Some of us have one friend like that. I have my husband. He is the only person in my entire life that I can be 100% authentic with. And even occasionally when I am 100% authentic, occasionally I trigger him. But the cool thing is, is over the past 22 years of being together, I know from experience that he is still going to be there, that he's going to tell me about his feelings. He's going to validate my feelings. I'm going to validate his feelings. We're going to work through what happened. We're going to get to the root cause And we're going to create safe space for that part of us as it makes itself known. We have had to work consistently to get to this place. 
There have been times early in our marriage where we did not have the safety. It wasn't like I just married this person and I felt completely comfortable being 100% of myself with him. It has required both of us to do work with ourselves, with our therapists, and with each other in order to get to this place. So if you don't have a person like that in your life, know that that's actually not uncommon. It's not uncommon to feel like we have to mask to some degree or another with every single person in our life. I would say it's only been in the last maybe 10 years that Kevin and I have had this feeling of complete safety in our marriage where we can talk about what's actually going on, where we can bring up problems and we can bring up our own shame, we can bring up what's going on and feel wholly acceptable here and secure in our attachment. It took 12 years before that of working through things, childhood patterns, working through assumptions we had about relationships, assumptions we had about gender, things that came from religious trauma, and working on those things together in order to reach this place. And it does not mean it's perfect. Like I said, we still trigger each other. We still have misunderstandings. But what has happened is all of that time has made me know that when we're triggered, when we're having a difficulty, I can trust he's going to be there and he's committed to working through it with me. So you're not looking for a perfect relationship. You're looking for a relationship that is securely attached, that can handle conflict, that can handle working through difficulties, and a person who sees you clearly as a worthwhile human being, even with all of your flaws and your trauma and your quirks and your weaknesses and all of those things. They see your strengths and they see the parts of yourself that sometimes you don't like and they love all of you and they want the best for you. So that's who you're looking for. And if you don't have someone like that, look for a therapist, look for a coach, look for a community online, look for a safe place that will support you and validate you while you're learning to see yourself clearly, and to love and support yourself. Because authenticity starts with feeling safe here at home with the person we will spend our entire life with, yourself. And then from there, we're better able to connect with other people. I would not have what I have with Kevin if both of us weren't doing our work to learn to love and accept ourselves better. Now, I want to talk about some of the ways our religious indoctrination may still be showing up subconsciously. And these are the main ideas I heard this week. The first one is there's a right way to be. So someone might say like, I just want to make sure that I've actually found my true self. And I get where this is coming from. You thought you were being true to yourself when you were in high demand religion. And hint, you were at that time. That was a true version of you then. It only became false as your values began to expand and as you began to evolve and mature into a different person. There was a time for me when Mormonism fit me 
very nicely. But there were also several years where it did not. And I was conscious of dissonance. I didn't realize the dissonance was because I was trying to fit myself into a Mormon box. I didn't realize that, not consciously at least. I just knew it wasn't working for me as well as it had worked for me before. Now, there was a time I would go back and look at myself and say I was inauthentic. And yes, if I'm comparing who I am today to who I was when I was 22, the 22-year-old version is inauthentic according to my values and my understanding and my beliefs now. But at 22, I was living in alignment with what I thought was right. I was living in alignment with my personal values. I was living in alignment with my needs. I was being authentic at 22 according to who I was then. The only reason I can look back at 22-year-old me and say you were being fake is because I continue to try to be that version even when I was 32. And it didn't fit anymore a decade later, but I was still trying to be my 22-year-old self. The only time we become inauthentic is when we become aware that things aren't working. And instead of getting curious and conscious about what isn't working, we just try harder to fit into the box. We try harder to please other people. We try harder to get other people's validation by muting parts of ourselves. So when it became conscious to me that things were not working, instead of allowing myself to think about it and work through it, I stuffed it. And it makes sense that I did that. I have compassion for that. The consequences were pretty huge. Losing my eternal family, losing Kevin, losing my kids, losing my parents and my siblings losing the opportunity to go to heaven, possibly going to outer darkness, all of these things felt like huge consequences at the time because of the understanding I still had. So it makes sense that I shoved it all down, but it caused me to live inauthentically. It caused me to dissociate from my body and from my own sense of self in order to keep living someone else's narrative. And sometimes that someone else The narrative that we're living is an earlier version of ourselves. So sometimes we're living the narrative of our parents. Sometimes we're living the narrative of a high-demand organization. But sometimes we committed to something when we were younger and we are still trying to fulfill those expectations of our younger self instead of allowing ourselves to expand and evolve as we're meant to. We're meant to change and grow. Every cell in our body is different every seven years. You are going to be different, not just physically, but mentally and emotionally. You're going to be a different person as you grow and mature. Your emotional intelligence, your intellect, it all grows and changes as you gain more life experience and as you learn more things. You're going to evolve. So sometimes we're stuck in a box because it's other people's box, and sometimes we're stuck in a box that our younger self put us in. We said, this is who I'm supposed to be. This is what I'm committing to. And when we outgrow that, we don't want to change because we made a commitment to ourselves. 
So this is why we're having this conversation today, because I see this happening where people are looking for that next box to put themselves in, that thing that they can say, this is the way to be. This is who I am. This is the right way. And that's going to be true for right now. You're going to find the right way for you right now, but then you're going to evolve in a year, five years, 10 years. And if part of being authentic isn't allowing yourself to evolve, mature, and expand, you're going to have this same problem a few years down the road. When you're still trying to fit into a box that you create for yourself today that you don't fit in five or 10 years from now because you're going to change. You're going to grow. You're going to evolve. You're going to be a different person five to 10 years from now than you are right in this moment. So authenticity isn't about finding the right way and then rooting into that and staying that person for forever. That is a leftover belief from our indoctrination. The next belief we might still have subconsciously is that you have to evolve into your ideal or highest self. Now, on the surface, that might feel or sound good, but really what you're saying is you're not enough as you are now. Like really dig into that belief. Underneath there is this idea that I'm not enough now. I need to be something higher, better, bigger, stronger. Radical self-acceptance says that you are worthy right now. You're acceptable right now. You're worthy of your own love and belonging right now. And as you learn to belong to yourself better, belonging with others is going to come so much easier. Because just like Maya Angelou says, as long as you belong to yourself, you belong everywhere. And that's going to make it so much easier to belong with others because you're going to be able to risk being who you are and allowing them to see who you are without your armor. Because you know if there are parts of you that they can't handle or that they reject, you've got your back. You love you. You belong to you. And whether they can accept who you are or not, you've got your back. Understand that we undermine ourselves whenever we're looking for our highest or best self as our authentic self. We can definitely have goals of what we're trying to reach or what we want to achieve or what we want to learn or how we want to evolve. But that doesn't mean that that's your authentic self. Someday it might be. But right now, your authentic self is the one that you're talking with. It's the one you're making plans with. It's the one that you wake up with in the morning and the one you go to sleep with at night. It's the fully human person that you spend 24 hours a day with. That is your authentic self. Is it messy? Yeah. Paradoxical? Of course. Both beautiful and confusing? Yes. And also absolutely unique. So whoever you are right now in this present moment, that is your authentic self. That is the true you. And it's learning to love and accept that version of you that will help you evolve and grow and learn, make mistakes, 
try things on, see what works. And when things quit working, it's that version of yourself that's going to help you make adjustments again. So know that whenever we talk about evolving into our ideal or highest self, that's not your authentic self. That's not your true self. It's maybe an ideal of who you'd like to become. But your true self is who you are right now. There is no work to become your true self. You are already your true self. The work comes in accepting and loving that version of you and allowing that version of you to have a secure place to belong inside of you. The next subconscious belief we have around authenticity is that I have to be 100% authentic with everyone I meet, even if it puts me in peril. And this comes from that all or nothing thinking. This idea that I'm going to be authentic 100% of the time, no matter what, even if it's unsafe. This doesn't serve us. Like so many things we talk about on this podcast, authenticity is on a spectrum. There are going to be people, like Brene Brown says, that have earned the right to your vulnerability. Those are the people we practice opening up with and being 100% ourselves. There are other people that are strangers or people who have been a part of our trauma in the past. And maybe we dip our toe in the water and allow ourselves to be a little more authentic by setting boundaries or simply by stating what we want or don't want in the relationship or what we like or don't like or making simple statements like Sally said in the last episode about who we are. Without any arguments, this is who I am. This is really vulnerable for me to admit to you. I don't want to talk about it right now. I just wanted you to know because you're important to me. That's a way for us to dip our toe in the water and say, hey, this is who I am. Can you handle that? Is this something you can accept? Brene Brown often talks about a concept of a marble jar, that over time we put marbles into our bank of trust with people by Each interaction we have with them, we see how they handle it and whether it's safe or whether it's unsafe, whether they're empathic or not, whether they want what's best for us or they don't. And so we put a marble in the jar by sharing and saying, hey, this is my truth. I want you to take some time to process and we can come back and talk about it later. But I wanted you to know and I wanted you to know that this is a really difficult thing for me to share but I care about you, so I'm sharing. And we drop that marble in the jar and see what they do with it. Maybe they take the marble out of the jar. Maybe they take that marble and several other marbles out of the jar. And maybe we realize, okay, this is not a safe place for me to be fully vulnerable. And that gets to be okay too. You get to make that assessment and say, oh, okay, this is a place where I will still show up as me but I might have some armor on. There might be boundaries in place to keep me safe being me in this relationship. So know that you're not going to be able to show up and be 100% authentic with 100% of people all the time because some relationships have earned the right to your vulnerability and some have not. 
The next mistaken idea that can sometimes hide out in our subconscious is that being authentic means loudly expressing my opinions without filters, even without others' consent. And this looks a lot like proselytizing or missionary work. And this is also part of healing. So do know if you go through a time where you are unfiltered and you simply say whatever comes to mind, you might be in a place of practicing really pushing back against those people-pleasing behaviors and really pushing back against this idea of masking. A lot of times when we've masked for a long time, sometimes we pendulum swing to the other side where we just let it all hang out. We say whatever we think. We say it however we want to say it. Um, We don't really care about other people's thoughts or opinions. We don't care whether we're making them uncomfortable. And sometimes we need that backswing in order to gain that equilibrium where we can be ourselves and be mindful of other people as well. Again, it's on a spectrum and sometimes you go from one side of the spectrum and you slingshot to the other side so that you can practice skills of setting boundaries, of speaking up when maybe you haven't been used to speaking up, of using your voice, of being heard. And the reason a lot of times we do that is because we've been pressure cooking our true selves in high demand religion. We've been silent for a long time. We've dealt with a lot of things. And sometimes it just all comes flying out. It's like the pressure cooker lid blows off and everything goes flying everywhere. And if that happens, this is a time for curiosity and empathy and acceptance as well as accountability too. Understand you're not an awful person. You're simply learning a new way of being. And sometimes when we're learning new things, we do them very badly at first because we don't know how to do them yet. Emotional and mental things are the same way. If you've been used to masking and people-pleasing, you may find that you go the opposite way and you let it all hang out. You might find that you're rebellious or contrarian, that you push back on people without thinking about their feelings or empathizing with their humanity. And that may be part of your process. Get curious with it. Listen in to whether you feel like you're being authentic in that place. Does it feel good to you? Does it feel like who you want to be? And if not, make some changes. That's all. And the last mistaken belief that I often hear come up is that being authentic means being unapologetic about who I am and what I do, even if it hurts others. Now, this kind of goes to that place of slingshotting to the other, you know, the other side of the spectrum. Sometimes we can become the abusers ourselves. When we're trying to break out of abuse, sometimes we can become really cruel or angry or unkind. And I've done this before. I was a very scary person for my family to be around when I first left the church. I was often angry. I was mercurial in my moods. They really didn't know what they were going to get. I felt unsafe to them. And I felt justified being that person. I almost took out my anger on the church, on my family, because for me, they represented the church and they weren't taking my side. And I felt abandoned and I felt lonely and I was wounded and all of those abandonment issues came up for me and I took it all out on my family. 
Now, as I healed a little bit more, I recognized that I actually was not proud of the way I treated them. And so for me, being authentic, once I realized I was hurting them and that they weren't responsible for 100% of the pain I experienced inside the LDS church, and that they actually weren't trying to abandon me, they just weren't sure how to associate with me anymore, I had to go back and do repair. So being authentic didn't mean just being like, well, you chose to be offended, or well, that's your problem, this is who I am. Being authentic recognized, I think I've hurt people, And that goes against my values of empathy and kindness. And I need to be accountable for that. So I was able to call them and say, hey, over the past couple of years, I've been a really angry person. And it makes sense that I was angry. But I think I took out my anger on you when you weren't the entity I was actually mad at. And I'm sure that felt really scary for you. And I'm sure I felt like an unsafe person. And I'm still angry about certain things, but I've begun working through it. And I've recognized I'm not angry at you. I am angry at the church. And we can just choose not to talk about church things. But I'm not angry at you. So that self-reflection allowed me to recognize, okay, I'm not showing up in alignment with my values. And filling into what it must have been like to be my family members and how unsafe and unsure they might have felt. And then being accountable for my part. Now, this didn't mean we didn't still have some difficult conversations about what family patterns we had or things that needed to change in our relationships, but I no longer held my family accountable for lies that the church had told. I no longer held my family accountable for things I wasn't taught because they didn't know either. They were just as in the dark as I was. It was not their fault that I was raised in a church that actively hid its history and that used shame and fear techniques because they didn't know either. And it wasn't fair for me to hold them to a higher standard than I held myself. So Do understand that being authentic doesn't mean just letting it all hang out, doing whatever you want to do, and never apologizing. That's kind of what our high-demand religions do, right? They don't apologize. They don't empathize. They just say and do whatever they want, and then you just have to deal. So that is another kind of underlying belief that some of us can get into. And that kind of brings me to relationships. Being authentic in our relationships doesn't mean that we're going to interact with every person exactly the same. So relationships are a chemistry created when two people mix their values, personalities, feelings, and needs together. And this means that every recipe is going to be a little bit different. But you'll know you're being authentic or true to yourself when you hold on to a consistent thread of your values, how you treat people, and what you stand for. There are people in my life that are incredibly open, that just say exactly how they feel and what they mean. They're very blunt, and I have a tendency to be much more blunt about my experience with them because I know that they can handle it, and that's how they communicate. 
there are other people in my life that I know are maybe swimming in a bit more shame and are a little bit less self-aware. And so I have a tendency to approach them much more gently. I still get across my message. I still say exactly what I need to say, but I handle them a bit more gently. I might use the sandwich method where I tell them all the reasons the relationship is important to me and prep them for the conversation that we're going to have, let them know how much I love them, and that's the reason we're having the conversation, have the one small thing that I'd like to see worked on, and then I end with how well they've done with things in the past. Like I really build them up while we're having conflict. That's still authentic because I am still communicating my needs, still communicating my values, but I'm taking into account their own experience, their needs, the way they like to be talked to. And I'm meeting them somewhere in the middle of my needs and their needs. I'm not swallowing my feelings or swallowing my needs and just caretaking them. But I'm also not just dumping it all on their plate and overwhelming their nervous system and leaving them without tools to regulate themselves. Knowing my audience, knowing who I'm talking to, knowing how I can best approach people and help them feel safe while communicating my needs and my perspective has been a beautiful way for me to express myself authentically with lots of different kinds of people. So when we're in relationship with people and we're being authentic, it's going to look different from person to person to person. It all depends on the person. Know that if you're showing up differently with different people, look and see, am I still consistent with my values? Am I still showing up for my mental and emotional and physical needs in these relationships? Am I still making sure that it's a win-win for both of us? It's a win for them and it's a win for me. Authenticity is going to be a win for both of you, where it's safe for both of you. But that doesn't mean that there aren't some changes in the way we communicate and some compromises as far as how we come together in the relationship. I also want to talk really quick about something that I see a lot, which is oversharing. Oversharing is not authenticity. It's actually a trauma response. Some people mistakenly believe that authenticity is just letting it all hang out, saying whatever, doing whatever, oversharing our pain and trauma with people that haven't earned the right to that story. I see this particularly on social media, and I've been guilty of it before, too, because just like you, I have some traumatic history in my past, and there are times even still that I'll catch myself oversharing. So we overshare as a defensive mechanism. We overshare either because we're trying to fast track a relationship, like trauma bonding. What we're doing is we hope if we share details that we typically reserve for closer friends, that we'll create this false sense of intimacy and kind of like take the relationship to the next level quicker. So if I just tell you all the like intimate details of my life, then you're going to feel closer to me. And then we're going to be able to become closer friends quicker. For some of us, we do this because we feel so lonely after we've left high demand religions that we just like overshare with people hoping to magnetize them to us. For others of us, we've been conditioned to do this. 
we were conditioned to overshare with people in our congregations and to keep nothing to ourselves, which kind of leads me to my second reason that we overshare, which is we don't have healthy boundaries. And when we've been raised without the ability to set healthy boundaries, it can be really hard to know what is and is not appropriate to share with others. So when we were taught that we're not really allowed to keep things to ourselves, that we have to confess them to an authority figure, that we have to tell our parents, that the whole congregation is allowed to know the inner workings of our life, it can be really hard to know what to share and what not to share and where those boundaries are. So sometimes we share as a way to like move that relationship along faster and to kind of fast track an intimate relationship with someone through kind of a trauma bonding experience. And sometimes it's just, we don't know what the boundaries are. We don't know how to be healthy with people. We don't know what's appropriate to share with someone who is a stranger or just an acquaintance versus someone who we're really close to and which thoughts are private thoughts. So sometimes we don't know where that is. And the third reason is sometimes we overshare to make someone else feel more comfortable. So maybe someone does something embarrassing and you can tell that they're embarrassed or they share something that's really fragile or vulnerable themselves. And so we tell something to them to make them feel less vulnerable. And this often comes from a place of codependency. If we've been conditioned to be codependent, or if we've been conditioned to emotionally caretake other people, we might empathically read that they feel ashamed or embarrassed And instead of just holding empathic space for them and being like, wow, that sounds really difficult. You know, thank you so much for sharing with me. Or I I don't even know what to say, but that feels really painful. Thank you for telling me. Um, How can I support you? Instead, we tell our own painful or embarrassing or vulnerable story to help them feel more comfortable sharing. And it often comes from our discomfort. So from our discomfort, because we're feeling uncomfortable, we share something vulnerable to make them feel more comfortable. So just know that that is also a trauma mechanism where when we've been conditioned to be codependent and to caretake others, that sometimes we overshare things that might put us in a vulnerable position. Sometimes it's not in our best interest. And there are people out there that will share painful things from their life to get you to overshare. We've talked about narcissism. This is actually a tool that narcissists will use. They will overshare to help you feel comfortable and to accelerate the relationship, but also to look for people who are codependent, who will overshare and don't have those boundaries because then they get dirt on you that they can hold against you later. Not all people who are sharing vulnerable things with you are trying to this, but do know that it is a possibility. So especially if you've had a history with narcissists in your life and you've had a history with codependency, this is something to be aware of, that if someone is sharing something vulnerable with you, it doesn't mean you have to share something vulnerable back. You don't have to pay them back with vulnerability or something embarrassing or hurtful from your own life. You can simply hold space and empathy for them by saying, that sounds really painful and I'm sorry you went through that. You know, what support do you need? Or, you know, thank you for sharing that with me. 
Or if it feels like an overshare on their part and it makes you uncomfortable, you can simply change the topic and just say, wow, that sounds like a lot. And then bluntly change the topic to try to get the message across of, I'm not the person that you would share this with. And you may have to get a little bit more blunt with people. And again, these are setting boundaries where if somebody is oversharing a lot of things with you that you don't feel you are emotionally or mentally ready to accept, or if you feel like you're the wrong audience completely, you're allowed to say, you know, I'm not sure I'm the right person for you to share this with. I don't know you well enough, but is there someone in your life that does know you really well and would be able to hold space for this story? Because it sounds like you could really use some support. I just don't think I'm the right person. And then last, sometimes we overshare to push people away. So sometimes we rush in and we tell people the thing we're most ashamed about or our biggest traumatic experiences to see if they run away screaming. And sometimes our point is to make them run away screaming to keep ourselves safe because perhaps we feel safer alone than we do with other people. Know that that is something we can do if we have some deep abandonment wounds is we decide we're going to skip the abandonment part and we're just going to share the worst things about ourselves to see if the other person runs away screaming so that we don't have to invest any emotional effort in someone who might eventually leave us. And it makes it really difficult for us to have any friendships because people with healthy boundaries are going to run away screaming. They're going to be like, this is not a healthy relationship. And this person is emotionally unavailable to connect with me in a healthy way. And the people that we will attract into our lives are typically going to be people that will use that information against us, eventually abandon us. It feeds into the story one way or another. We're creating abandonment in our life because either we tell the things to people and they run away screaming and we're like, see, they were going to abandon me. So at least we took care of that. Or the person sees that we overshare and we don't have boundaries and they use us for supply for their own sense of self-worth until we're no longer useful and then they discard us and it plays into that abandonment wound again. And so to wrap up, I think the next thing I want to touch on is just that being human is such a paradox. We are social creatures who long to be seen, heard, and valued for who we are as individuals. And this statement in and of itself is a paradox. We have conflicting needs. We need to be an individual. We need to be seen and identified as our own unique person. And we have the need to belong. And so we're always walking this fine line between these two conflicting needs, which means it gets messy sometimes. We have the need to be ourselves and the need to connect. And this means that as we walk this fine line, we're not going to be 100% authentic 100% of the time. Life is a dance of duality. It's learning to balance the needs of our inner self with the demands of being a social creature. Life is fluid and contextual. Behaving in one way in one situation may not be in your best interest in other situations. Know that you are going to adapt your behavior depending on who you're with. 
The entire time you're with people, your brain is scanning to see if you're safe. It's scanning people's body language. It's scanning their facial expressions. And it's comparing that to your past experiences with people and giving you signals about how you can show up in a way that's authentic but will also keep you safe. Now, I do want to say that if you have a history of being a people pleaser, of being somebody who caretakes other people's emotions, the idea of showing up as your true self may feel really foreign. And there may be a part of you that's just like, you know, as I deconstruct religion, maybe I will just show up as my authentic self one day. And I want you to know, this is a quote from Francesca Gino. She's a behavioral scientist and professor at Harvard Business School. She says, you're not going to show up one day and be your authentic self. It doesn't happen by accident. It's a conscious choice you're going to have to make. Being authentic is a practice. You're going to make mistakes along the way. Sometimes you're going to pendulum swing to the opposite side and let it all hang out. This is a learning experience. And so you consciously make the choice of, I'm going to try to be true to myself, which means you're going to have to get acquainted with yourself. We can't be true to a self that we don't know. We can't express a self that we don't know. We can't share a self that we're not acquainted with, with other people. And so today... Our one small step forward is going to be to spend more time with yourself. When we're with other people, we're influenced by mirror neurons. We read other people's emotions. We read their body language and we adapt accordingly. And so spending time with ourselves, Glennon Doyle talks about just sitting in her closet quietly, not even meditating, just sitting in her closet quietly where she can hear her thoughts and feel the emotions in her body and become connected to Glennon. Other people find that they can do this best in nature. Other people find that they can do this while they're driving. But find some time when you're by yourself and actively listening to what's going on inside of you. Get to know you. Listen to what your emotions are saying, what your thoughts are saying. What are the things that your inner self is trying to tell you? If you need to write to bring those things up, do it. I love vomit journaling. I sit down and I write whatever comes to mind, however nonsensical it is, however angry or jealous or happy or joyful or stupid. It doesn't matter. I write it all down. I don't pay attention to what I'm writing. And then at the end, I read it. That is a great way to get connected with yourself as well. Some people get connected with themselves while they're dancing or doing yoga Do what you feel like you're craving to do and listen. Listen to your body. Listen to your emotions. Listen to your thoughts. Listen to your needs. Allow them to tell you about yourself. Allow yourself to become acquainted. And from acquaintance, work on acceptance. And from acceptance, work on self-trust. 
as you get more acquainted with your own voice, that voice is going to be louder than anyone else's voice in your head, including your parents growing up, including the religious upbringing you had. That voice will become stronger and stronger the more acquainted you get with it. And from there, you can practice putting that voice into play in your interactions with others. So this week, I challenge you to find a quiet practice, even if it's only for a couple of minutes every day, where you can sit and listen to yourself or move and listen to yourself. Find a way to get in touch with the inner you and begin to listen and build a relationship. Start putting marbles in your own relationship jar. Start showing yourself that you're a person who can be trusted, who is empathic, who wants the best for you, and who will always have your back. A person who will hold you accountable, but also hold you in an embrace. Show yourself that you're the kind of person you can be vulnerable with. Start by being your own best friend. It's not going to happen overnight, particularly if you've been really mean to yourself in the past, or if you've been dissociated with yourself. If you've been out of touch, if you haven't had a relationship in a long time, it might take a little bit of time to reacquaint yourself and to repair any damage that's been done. But as you show up and as you repair the damage, it gets easier to be true to who you are right now in this present moment with other people, and it gets easier to allow yourself to evolve when it's time. I hope this has been helpful. Thank you so much for joining me this Sunday. I have really enjoyed learning more about authenticity. I've really enjoyed learning that it's really nuanced and it's paradoxical, that there are times when I can be 100% myself because I'm safe. And there are times that I might consciously choose to hold back parts of myself and to have boundaries for my own safety. And that all of that is valid. And none of it means I'm being fake. I hope this week, as you sit with yourselves, you're able to learn that you deserve that same empathy and compassion. And that you're able to hear yourself more clearly at the end of this week. Thank you so much for joining me and I'll see you again next Sunday.